had to get a color-coded bracelet. Yes, like the one I'm wearing. Yes, and you know who else does that? It's the Mexican cartel. Thank you for your time, and let's go, Brandon. Okay, happy Friday, June the 3rd afternoon. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, today, we have a very special guest, and I'm so excited to introduce her, her to you guys. Um, but real quick, this is honestly like a continuation um, of the last live broadcast that we did talking and discussing about the massive influx facilities that are popping up once again throughout the great state of Texas. Um, and some of the, we, we presented some of the information to you guys, um, Jesse Perales, Peter Perez, big shout out to you guys. You guys saw some of the drone footage um, of the Carrizo Springs Influx facility uh, that is has been reopened um, or is in the preparation phase of being reopened and, um, and, and had the massive scale that that, that facility it's just massive. It's jaw dropping. Um, so since that time, guys, we have reached out to uh, I've actually called and spoken to a few of the different senators, state senators offices, sent some of that information over there, reached out to some uh, contacts within various organizations, uh, national organizations, trying to find multiple different ways that the state of Texas and that the local citizens um, and the local on the county level and the city level in particular are able to fight back and push back against some of these massive facilities that, that will have a huge impact on the local community in so many different areas. And I thought that it was a, a really appropriate time uh, to ask uh, Laura Nodoff to come on uh, on with us and just kind of follow up because she knows it. She's over there in Midland County. She's a Midland County DA. She is a fire breather. She is a truth teller. She is just, I cannot say enough amazing things about her and, and what she's been trying to do um, to protect her, her constituents in her county. And, and most, and also importantly, to protect the children that are being just dumped, that were just dumped there um, in that county and in that area. Um, and so I wanted to just uh, bring her on. I thought this was a great time to do so. Let me bring her on officially. Okay. You can hear me and see me. Okay. And I think we're, we're up and running very good. Good to go at this point. I think so too. Thank yeah. you so much, Laura, for, for coming on. Um, we met a while back, actually a mutual friend of ours connected you and I together, Kelly Perry. She's awesome and amazing. And, um, you know, we were having a, a lot of border awareness events last summer along the border. And she's like, you need to reach out to Laura. So we had an event out there in San Angelo and you agreed to come out there. And I was just like, wow. And it feels like forever ago. Right? It's like just, <laughs> but I mean, I, you just left such a huge impression on me that I was just like, wow, she, she needs, she needs to be out there. Uh, people need to hear what she has to say. So thank you so much for coming on. Do you want to explain a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do in sure. your role? Um, so again, my name is Laura Nodoff. I'm the district attorney for Midland County, Texas. 
I am a single jurisdiction, so I only have one county, but my office handles all misdemeanor and felony cases that occur in Midland County. Um, I have been a, I've dedicated my entire legal career uh, to being a prosecutor and have been with Midland County District Attorney's Office since 2003. Uh, I took office for my first term in 2016 and I'm currently in my second term and look forward to serving the citizens for many years to come. Um, it was quite interesting. I'll give you a little bit of background how I came into uh, learning about uh, unaccompanied minor children. Um, I was on my way to Austin, actually, just after spring break last year, getting ready to uh, talk to some legislators about things in the upcoming session when I started to receive text messages and then uh, a video of Governor Abbott, who was stating that a facility was going to be opened in Midland uh, that would house unaccompanied minor children uh, who had crossed illegally. And the first thing that I did was I tried to reach out to some of our local officials, see what they knew. Nobody knew what on earth was going on. We could barely get a location for where this was going to be occurring. Um, I contacted my state representative, Tom Craddock, uh, called his office and then called um, Senator Seliger's office. And my entire four and a half hour drive from Midland down to Austin was spent on the phone just trying to figure out what on earth was coming to our community. And because all we saw was this press release from the governor that there would be upwards of 500 minor children coming to a man camp. And let me explain to you what a man camp is. A man camp is uh, an open air kind of series of small apartments um, that doesn't have a high fence or anything else like that, where Adults stay whenever they are working in the oil field. Normally, oil companies will rent them out. Uh, this one was owned by Cotton Logistics, and it had been vacant. We were in a down, you know, oil was down. Uh, so what happened was uh, FEMA came out and looked at the facility on March 12th. They signed the contract on the 13th of March. 2021. And next thing we knew, they told us to be prepared to have 500 children arrive on Monday. Now, granted, I'm hearing about it on Sunday, which means those kids are showing up the next day. So um, thankfully for being in Austin, I was able to be in the offices of my state representatives who were a great help at the time, um, you know, between Representative Craddock and Senator Seliger, who were making contacts with anybody and everybody, because literally none of us had a single bit of information going into this. We had no notice. We had nobody contacted the sheriff. Nobody contacted the county judge, the mayor. We all found about out about it thanks to Fox News. And then our federal government swooped in, took this property, and told us, be prepared, they're just coming. Uh, we did a lot at the outset to really get us the, 
from the local level on up to the state level and including the federal level to make sure that we were all on the same page, which was really first off understanding what this was because Midland had never seen anything like, you know, an emergency intake facility. Um, we're far enough from the border that it didn't seem reasonable for it to be coming here. Um, but it did. We had to, we were behind the curve because we were not familiar with the Office of Refugee Relocation, all their programs. And so here we go. Here we go. Started to educate ourselves what these facilities are, understanding the dynamics, who's coming in. And frankly, it had nothing to do with the fact that we understood that the children who were coming here had probably been sold by their parents to the cartel or um, pushed across the border by their parents or, just, you know, they paid money to a coyote. And so we didn't know necessarily about the dynamics of the children and it wasn't necessarily the fact it was the children. It's what was the plan mm -hmm. and, and how is this going to affect our community? Could we handle this? What happens if a crime occurs at the facility? Who's going to handle it? What happens if a child leaves? What are you mixing males, females? Are they documented? Do we have their criminal histories? So there were just so many questions at the outset and we really had to get um, all of the really key stakeholders, local all the way up to the federal level, um, on the same page to say, okay, Department of Homeland Security and Health and Human Services, you've got to give us some information. We need to know what to expect. Right. Right. So, so we started to ask a lot of questions and it, we were basically given no answers for many, many weeks. Um, many weeks after the facilities were already open. Correct. Right. That's correct. So um, I had eyes on the ground while I was in Austin and um, I was told by some of my environmental investigators that um, they were watching the area um, and several busloads buses came in under the cloak of darkness and pulled in and children just started spilling out. And in the, the short time span that the contract had been signed for the facility, apparently they had removed um, the, some of the kitchen units from these areas uh, or these little pods um, and added just some beds and but you, they weren't allowing anybody else on the property so the sheriff tried to go out and go see what was going on nope turned away everybody who went out there turned away um and you guys are local officials local elected officials that represent this county this this jurisdiction this is y'all's jurisdiction and you guys were for a while at least denied information. It took you guys a long time to be able to obtain it. And it, it, and then to even be able to tour the facility or access the facility, the sheriff, it like were turned, was turned away. A flat out turned away. 
the, it, I can't think of off the top of my head, a locally elected official who didn't try to go out there in the first couple of days. I ended up coming back to Midland on Wednesday and I'm very fortunate because I have an environmental unit and the environmental unit um, has uh, authority through the water code uh, mm -hmm. to enter into properties uh, to check uh, to make sure that water on the property is um, actually potable water. Um, they do that in connection with TCQ. And we were the first people to be able to enter the facility under the ability to go check to make sure that the water was suitable for the children. Because when we went to go pull to see if there were any permits for water for that facility, there were none. Wow. That were active. So our federal government signed a contract to put minor children at a facility and didn't even bother to check if there was a water usage permit in place. That and is outrageous. I mean, it's not surprising, but I just like I can't comp like there are basic needs that, that humans have. Right. Uh, and why, why would they not be held to the same standards as like, if I was to build a, you know, build a shed in the backyard, I would have to go through my city and file and go through, follow the codes, pay all the fees, like go through it the legal way, but it's different apparently for the federal government to have massive pop-up facilities that children are forced to live in. Well, and what's crazy about it is even according to the standards that are set by ORR that says they have to maintain facilities that are safe and sanitary. They have to provide access to toilets, sinks, and showers. These kids couldn't shower. Right. They if it's a, if, can you explain drinking water and food. what What is portable? I, I, I've seen it. Um, you know, I've seen it. And as a matter of fact, when I did a whole live about Liberty County and what's happening hundreds of miles with colonials out there outside of, uh, of, of Houston, um, I mean, I know what I'm looking at, but for those who may not understand kind of what that is, can you explain kind of what that is? And when we, when you say like, they don't even have access, they didn't have access or the ability to even take a shower, how can you kind of break that down a little bit for us? Well, sure. So you have, Potable water, which is that which you can drink, you can shower in, it's sanitary, it's been processed. Um, and then you have non-potable water, which could be used for irrigation and is used a lot out here in West Texas in relation to the um, oil business. Um, and so most man camps in order to operate have to have a water processing system on location to be able to process if they're pulling because what they're doing is they're pulling water directly out of the ground which out here um you could have everything from acids from frac tanks um to other harmful harmful chemicals that are seeping into the groundwater so that's why you have to have the water usage permit and make sure that you have water that is is actually potable. 
suitable, actually we'll say suitable for use for that's safe for your body, safe if you consume it. Um, and they were just pumping water directly out of the ground and those children were showering in it. That is, I have no words. So we actually ended up TCQ issued a cease and desist order to the facility. That was our first step to let them know this is unacceptable. You are endangering these children's lives. Quite literally. Literally. Quite literally. Um, and so when I remember walking through the facility, I remember seeing cases of water on the front steps of these um, these bunkers, essentially. And they were in the sun. Um, and I just thought it was so odd. But then it made sense to me later that that water, because who wants to drink water that's been sitting out in the sun? Right. But right. that's what they had given them to drink. And because they had a water management expert on site and who must have told them, hey, uh, don't let them drink it. So there were cases sitting out in the, out in the sun. Um, I remember walking around seeing children just sitting on porches without an adult in sight. Right. Um, nobody who is identifiable as a um, member of the federal government. Um, we did see uh, the Department of Homeland Security Police Department who informed us that they were there for purely perimeter security. <clears throat> wow. And because the secure security around the facility at that time was a four foot high fence that consisted of posts every six feet and a two by four, you know, spaced about every three feet. And that was it. Wow. Nothing to stop a child from leaving the facility and the Department of Homeland Security Police told us that if a child walked off the facility, they were not going to chase after them. And so, and and to go, like, th that, that makes it just easy for those types of scenarios to happen. Um, but also, in addition to that, there are also very real concerns about do you, about the children's safety while inside of these camps as well. And, and to that, to that, like, can, what age groups do you know, uh, what did it fluctuate? What age groups were there at the facility there, um, in, in your area in Midland? So we started off with males, um, that were, I believe 12 to 15, um, and we were led to believe that it was going to be a single gender facility. Uh, ultimately, they ended up keeping younger males uh, 10 to 12 and then females 14 to 17. And they were commingled. Um, the, the number of because one of the things we did ask right off the bat was I want a daily census emailed to me. And it, the sheriff, all all of the stakeholders were in, included in these emails. 
Um, we wanted a daily census. We wanted to know the makeup of that census, male, female, age range. Um, and we wanted to know how many were projected to be brought in that day and or depart. Because what I'm looking at is number one, I know how many beds that facility can hold. Right. Let's see what they're going to do. Right. And sure enough, in short measure, they were bringing in more children than the facility was allotted or could hold. Wow. Um, then we started to see that the number of children on location or brought in was not matching up to the number of children that said that they had been transferred to a more permanent ORR facility. And they were off by like one or two. So when inquired what happened to them, um, found out that we had uh, one who, while they were at the airport, uh, decided didn't want to get on the plane. So they ran away and they didn't chase them. And we, they were supposed to call law enforcement if that occurred. They did not. Um, and they weren't sure exactly what happened with the other child. Like these, these, these are not just numbers. This is not like something that you can just be off by one or two or a certain percentage. These are human beings. These are minors. These are children. And like, that's, that's like to just, for them to just have that type of response be acceptable. That's, you know, one of the things that's like mind blowing to me is that the Biden regime um, you know, puts forth and saying like, oh, these, these poor children, um, these unaccompanied minors, we're going to reunify them. We're going to do all these things when, when their policies have driven their, the, the exploitation of these children. Uh, it's, 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 it's literally exploitation and, and to sit there and for them to be so dismissive, like, oh, well, we're not going to run after them. We heard of that even happening on Fort Bliss. Um, like these are minors. I've got children. You have children. We're mothers. I can't, I can't fathom like a government pitching to other countries. Like, yes, come to the United States because that's what they're doing. Come to the United States because your children are going to be safe. Your children are going to be provided you know the care and the security, and, and that, that that is far better than that of your own, uh, of your country. Right. And yet, this is and the reason why I'm saying that, guys, is not because I agree with it. I wholeheartedly don't agree with it at all. But it's the sales pitch that they are giving and portraying to the to to the rest of the world. You know, and when we talk about the the the, the exploitation and the lies and the and the and the incentives for the parents to give up their children because they, they make it where like these children are used also as like a meal ticket. You know, they, they just held up the ruling of title 42, which doesn't equate to much because that then was shortly followed up by DHS announcing that you, you can come and you'll be processed under title eight. Um, you know, um, it, it, it'll even be even nonverbal, nonverbal threats. We'll even accept nonverbal, uh, credible fear statements to be processed under title eight, but only, but only if it's family units, really like, and then what happens all of a sudden, that's when the spikes of, 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 kidnapping start to occur. That's when the stories of recycled children begin to occur. And because that's, it, it 
produces, it breeds this type of just, it, it's evil. It's just evil. And so like even one or two, I can't understand how that's acceptable to the federal government that is facilitating this to happen. I just can't understand. Now in, in that, in that area as well, you know, in the Midland area, you, of course, you guys are not on the border. How far away uh, from the border are you got from an act from the actual border? Are you guys? And then um, a follow up, you know, to that as well. Do you know where the unaccompanied minors that were sent to you guys, where the, what sectors they were coming from or were they coming from kind of all over? Were you guys given that information? So we kind of found out about it in a, a variety of ways. So we're about three hours from the border. Um, so what we were able to um, ascertain primarily through um, disclosure um, in a criminal investigation that one victim had been come in through Arizona, had already been to an, emer an emergency intake site in Arizona, made an outcry there, and then subsequently was sent to Midland um, and Nobody in Midland apparently knew about it, but another outcry was made in Midland. Um, the offense had occurred in Mexico prior to um, her coming across the border. So we know that we were receiving children from Arizona. Uh, we know that they were coming in through the Del Rio sector. Uh, so it was a variety of places and, and a lot of them had been bounced around. They had been to Houston they had been to um, Dallas and then shipped here. I it, it just was crazy to me that, you know, if these children really had just been sold by their parents to a trafficker and leaving the only home that they know, and rather than creating a stable, safe environment where they have access to counselors, and medical care if needed. No, they're bouncing them around all over the place. And so there's no stability. And I can't imagine, I mean, you know, I think about my, my kids that are 14 and if they were taken out of my home and sent to a foreign country that they don't speak the language how on earth are they going to understand what's going on when they're being told, get on a bus, we're going somewhere else. And then to be but like bounced around. And, and just bounced around. And then when we started getting population information that certain children had been released to family members, well, that was against our policy. They're not supposed to be released to family members out of an emergency intake site um, at the time. And not only that, we're talking about people who kids who had been there just a couple of days. How have you, how have you vetted mm -hmm. the person that they're supposed to go to in two days? That just, it, it's nonsensical. And that's and it one of makes the it ripe for human trafficking. And I want to bring up some of the, and, and we were, talking about this i want to bring up some of the exactly that like we had 
the Freeman Coliseum in San Antonio. We had the K. Billy Hutchinson Center right here in the DFW area. Um, and you and, and we still had the areas in Fort Bliss and a few of the others that had remained throughout this time. Um, but you had substantial claims of abuse, of assault, um, and not just from inside. Um, and I'm going to share some of these. I'll share first, you know, the the charges from um, CIS, uh, Center of Immigration Studies, the reports. Uh, suggesting that HHS is cutting corners and vetting sponsors of migrant children. You know, one of the things that the Biden regime likes to try to push forth is like, oh, well, these the separation of children in these families, these families. Well, first off, fake families is real. That's not a conspiracy theory. It's been well documented and it's happened for a long time. President Trump understood that. He knew that. And this isn't about being political. okay? Uh, but it is because. President Trump knew and he understood that. He he tried with the DNA testing. He knew that the exploitation of children was real. And when the huge caravans began happening back in 2019, um, he knew he had to step in and try to do something. The Biden administration came in and that was one of the very first things that they ceased was the vetting of uh, sponsors. And it's not that they don't vet them. It's very soft. And what the Biden administration allowed to happen was the um, uh, illegal aliens already living here in the United States to come forth as a sponsor. Guys, there's no way if you are an illegal alien, you are undocumented. You are undocumented. There's no way that we could go in and background check you like and vet you. And when you're coming over, they're dumping these documents. It is a security risk. And, and when that is allowed, as a matter of fact, uh, there's even a lot of left wing organizations that started screaming out about this. And you can go to securetheborder.us. I have this articles and the other article um, with uh, from Judicial Watch where they released 33 different cases in one month alone of cases of assault, not just uh, assault from um, the, the kids fighting together, but sexual assault, um, di different things that were going on in these facilities. So it's, it's the, the threat to these children inside of the facilities. And then it's the threat to these children to the unvetted or improperly vetted at best, uh, sponsors that they are being released to. Um, and that's kind of what you were saying too, um, e even before was that, um, that the, the, the guards that were there, um, that they were just there for perimeter checks. So what did they do? What was their plan and what was their response to you guys as city officials when you guys questioned them and pressed them and said, well, how, what kind of security are, do these children have inside of the facility? So their response was, well, we have volunteers inside the facility that are keeping a watch on him. And we have, you know, employees, federal employees inside the facility. And so my question to them is, so what happens if a fight breaks out between, you know, say two boys who aren't getting along? What's gonna happen then? And the response was not that they were gonna go in and do anything to stop it. It was, well, the, the facility will call dispatch. 
And so they pushed all of that back on local law enforcement. That's already being taxed as much as possible right now anyway. But any crime that occurred on the site became the sole responsibility of local law enforcement to investigate and then turn over to me for prosecution. The problem that we found was that either people at the facility were not reporting it timely. They were not calling dispatch. They couldn't decide if they called dispatch or if they'd call CPS. And then the information given through CPS has to make its way through and the right channels to determine if a criminal investigation is necessary. And by that point in time, in one instance, they'd already moved the victim onto another facility. And did they tell us where? No, they didn't. So it's, you have children who are now victims that we can't get the right information to follow up with them from the federal government who said, sure, we maintain files on all these kids. Okay, well, why can't I see them? Mm-hmm. Why is this such a secret? And there was no good explanation. But what's equally as scary about all that is when you talk about vetting, that it's very clear, and they have not changed this policy since they began opening these emergency intake sites, that the only people who are subject to fingerprint background checks are federal employees. Any of the other contractors that come in and out of the facility, um, any volunteers, they are only subject to a public background check. So how easy is it for me to assume the name of somebody else when I'm a registered sex offender in a different state? And they did. They brought in people from all over the United States to this facility. Um And eventually the contracted organization that ended up coming in at the very, towards the very end had a reputation for when one of their employees would get in trouble to just move them to a different location. And so we now have people coming in who are supposed to be supervising our vulnerable population, but they're exposing the community as a whole to a whole host of unknown individuals. And granted, we, we can't control who all comes in and out of our communities, but this is the federal government bringing them here for a particularly stated reason. And the federal government is the one who originally set up fingerprint background checks. Why they couldn't take the time to do it, I don't know. When we offered to do it for them through the sheriff's department, they declined our offer. Wow. Wow. So if you have to, as an employee of any detention facility, um, whether it be juvenile, whether it be adult, um, even some long-term treatment facilities associated with the criminal justice system, if you have to pass a fingerprint background check, why wouldn't you want the same thing for those who are going to be providing direct care to a vulnerable population? 
Right. Uh, in, in, in a population that more than likely as well, like we started off talking about, like you started off talking about, has already been abused and neglected um, at some point along their journey from getting to wherever they're coming from to arriving in, in the facility there. And that that was under your jurisdiction that they would not allow you and the sheriffs and the county officials to step foot in. Yet it is your county your constituents, your constituents' taxpayer dollars, and y'all's PD that is somehow held responsible and, and left for for the very facility and the very care of these children that you guys were not even allowed access to to even help vet, uh, background check, or, or make sure that their needs, their humanitarian needs were even being met. Like, that's wild. It, it, that's pretty much summing it up into a nutshell. Into uh, a nutshell. What I'm it, yeah. So after they denied our our request to fingerprint, do the fingerprint background checks, uh, we got together our, um, they have them now officially titled sexual assault response teams. But we had already worked with our children's advocacy center and our sexual assault nurse examiners at the hospital and, and said, hey, we, we know how, how to do a mobile unit. Let's offer them a mobile unit. So that way we can start getting counseling or treating an STD that a victim may have as a result of the sexual assault. And we were, they said, no, nope, we don't need your help. We don't want your help. But yet if you have a victim who's been victimized, it, if they were anywhere else in Midland County, that's the exact process we would go through. Right. And right. so just simply because they were under the care of ORR and who's responsible for them, they said, oh, no, they don't, we, we don't need your help. And I think that one, as, as horrific as this is, the reality and guys, like and share this video, get this information out there because this is stuff as well that we're just is not really being talked about on any news medias, both left and right. And, and when I showed you guys as well, even the article from HHS, that was from last year. And, um, and, and I'm sorry, from CIS, that was from last year. And this has been going on for a long time. And unfortunately, when they think about, when people think about the border crisis and the border invasion, they only see under the bridge in Del Rio, you know, uh, and they don't see the consequential impacts that this has further down the road. And this really truly is impacting every single community, every single town throughout the great state of Texas and throughout the United States. And that's one of the reasons too why I wanted to have you on as well, because I remember you talking about this situation there in your in your area. But this is what we're seeing once again pop up again in other areas. And I the last warning that I gave during the last live was like, look, guys, like not only are they reopening these facilities that were closed down for a little while, but they're popping up all over the place. I'll be going down to another community, hopefully soon at, by the end of this month, possibly, uh, where, um, another NGO is through, through endeavors is popping up another facility like this. And they're popping up all in these small towns, uh, throughout Texas that they had made like you, like, but prior to this, 
to your experience with this, they had no idea. Like, and they're, and we're hearing the same thing where they, and it's funny because in the documents, and I'm going to put it up as, as you're talking um, here in just a second, in the documents by their own admission, they're stating, you know, Mayorkas states that, that HHS and ORR will work in, in, in conjunction with state and local officials to make sure that the care and the needs of these children um, are, are, are met. Clearly, uh, this is happening where local officials, where these new facilities are popping up, there's no interaction whatsoever. And it's like pulling teeth, getting any information whatsoever. And when they do, and mayors and, and, and other local officials are going, hey, we don't want this. They're going, mm, too bad. We're opening our doors in September. And, and so the hope with this is to learn what you guys did there in Midland to be effective. Um, and I, I, we took, I took notes. You sent me some information. I'm so excited to be able to hopefully after this, put it together and kind of put it out there. So this way, the local citizens and the local county officials and county officials, where if they, these things are popping up, guys, listen to this as a warning. This is coming to your area. And not only is this coming to air to your area, these issues are going to come to your area. And, and, and when we were talking earlier, I'm like, what I see this as is a federal takeover of state sovereign land. And yet they come in, they put these facilities, they drop them off in the middle of the night in a very like literally a day turnaround from the time that they said that they were going to, you know, open it to the time that FEMA signed the contract and said, yeah, let's go. And they weren't clearly ready. Um, we have to be able, and there are things that we can do to 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 fight back and to push back because this is much more than a political issue. Th these are human lives, and it's 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 disgusting, and it, and it hurts Texans, it hurts the American citizens in so many ways, and then it hurts these children, um, and, and impacts their lives in, in such a negative way, and and this should not be allowed to happen on Texas soil. You're, you're so right. I mean, it's because it, it's not, it's not just the, the fact that, well, first off, while Mayorkas says in, in, in all of the ORR documents says very clearly, we will work very closely with state and local officials to meet the state licensing requirements. Well, obviously they didn't do that whenever they first opened the Midland facility because they didn't have drinking water. But in addition to that, they worked diligently to keep us in the dark. I don't understand if you're trying to work with your local officials, why you're going to keep them out. What are you afraid that we're going to find? Why is it that at the inception even the Texas Department of Health and Human Services were not really interested in following up on these facilities. It wasn't until we started pushing that facilities that operate past 90 days must meet state licensing requirements and started it literally, if, if you take nothing else away from this broadcast, the one thing I can tell you is you have to be persistent in asking the questions and you have to continuously ask and, and, and you have to learn. 
you know, what type of contract is this? Is this an emergency intake site or is this a long-term facility? If it's a long-term facility, then you've got to start meeting state licensing requirements. And we know where the governor stands on that position and it's not to license them. And so you also have to learn, okay, well, again, what type of is, who's going to be managing the facility? Um, is this going to be a facility that's managed by an NGO or a, you know, volunteer organization? Um, or is who's going to be on site? Who's going to be your point of contact on the site? Who's your incident commander? Um, and it is just peppering them with questions all the time. And you may not always get an answer, but the more you educate yourself about these facilities and what should and should not be going on at the facilities, and you start asking the questions of either the incident commander, and I wouldn't stop there. I, I would be going to the regional director for ORR or the chief of operations for ORR themselves, um, which is what I did. And every email that I sent, I said, please consider this to also be a request under the Freedom of Information Act. Um, and it, of course, they declined all my requests, but I kept at it. Mm -hmm. And eventually they realized that they were not going to make um, the licensing requirements. And we received three days notice that they were then closing down the facility and all the children would be moved out. And that's how I think that that's how we would be able to fight back. If you have the persistence and you have the education uh, in the, the, the citizens, um, and then as a consequence, also the local officials are applying this pressure. Look, and you guys know this, I will go to every single one of our 254 counties with this information that we've gathered and that we've collected. You guys ask all the time, what can we do to stop this? This is one way. You fight back in your city and your county level. You educate yourself. You reach out. And then, and then I will meet you where you are. I will go out there to every single county and say, this is the plan. This is what Laura Nodoff did in Midland County. And this is how she fought back because that is how we cannot rely on the federal government when they are the ones that are facilitating this. And there are a lot of things that I would argue, this is my opinion, that the state of Texas could do um, that is currently not being done. Um, but on the city and county level, this is what you don't have to go to the border. You don't have to be, go to the border to become a border advocate, to get active, engaged, and involved, and to fight back. You spread awareness. You be on the lookout for these types of facilities because they, they chances are they may end up popping up in your area. Um, it Far away from the border, like you said, Midland is three hours away from the border. So, you know, they're, and they're pushing it further and further inland. Um, and, and this is just, this is one of the ways that, you have been successful. Now, that doesn't mean that they that they may not try it again, maybe not at the man right. camp, but you're on alert 
and your the, the constituents there in your area and you guys already have a game plan of how you guys can continue to attack this because we know according to their documents that Mayorkas released um you know back in uh, prior to what April I forgot the date and you sent it to me and I had it and I've read it so many times read it so many times and I I need to put it up on the website as well um but this is growing at a rapid pace with room to expand um, rapidly. So can you, do you want to talk about the potential expansion? <laughs> oh, absolutely. So the, the thing is, is that they're not by it or the, they being the federal government is not by any means trying to hide, um, what their intentions are. Um, you know, in fact, they have made it pretty well known um that they are looking for so one of the things that they and this is all out there public um public records so they had a request for information um sources sought uh they say it's for market research and planning purposes only um and is not a solicitation which i understand that but it tells me that they're getting ready to open up more facilities and as they go through, they list that there's 17 states that they're looking at specifically to bring, um, be able to house unaccompanied minor children. And that they define clearly as children uh, age 17 and under who are unaccompanied by a parent or other legal guardian who have no lawful immigration status in the United States. And so number four on the list, it goes California, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas. Um, it's, I, I don't think it's any surprise that, you know, Texas is on the list, but when they talk about the fact that they're looking for these very specific areas um, to be able to house children um, in great detail of what they're searching for information tells me that they are absolutely getting ready to bring in all um, a lot more children. And uh, you know, she that other document that you had pulled up and uh, put up. What was interesting to me um, is the fact that this one, um, uh, the field, uh, the field guidance for August thirtieth. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. You maybe not. This was okay. issued April 29th, 2022. Um, oh, yes. I know which one. Go ahead. I'll pull it up. I'm working and on it. so what I found really interesting is that this document clearly states that they are anticipating um, that the projected number of refugee children for fiscal year 2022 was 149,000 children um, and that it they're going to have to bring online standard and temporary facilities uh, to accomplish this because they just do not have the facilities right now. Um, they talk about the fact that there's only 14 facilities that were online last year, that being Pecos, uh, and Fort Bliss, but they were talking about the expansion of Cruise of Springs, just like you were you were discussing. Mm -hmm. um, and so, in addition to that, 
they are projecting a need um, for uh, $8.76 billion um, of taxpayer money to be able to operate these facilities. I had it up and I, <laughs> I had it up and I don't know what happened to it, but I will put it up uh, in the comments um, later on after the broadcast for everyone to see because I'm not sure. What because it goes on, they go on and they say, and we acknowledge that that may not even be enough in and of itself that right. we leave open that we could go back to Congress and ask for supplemental funding. Mm -hmm. It's it, there's no s rhyme or reason. What are they doing with our money? Mm -hmm. As much as they paid cotton logistics and, and I don't remember exactly what the amount of the contract was, but it was absurd. Well, and I, I know, I know as well, even um, just the Eagle Pass facility that uh, we showed drone footage of that Jesse Perales has gotten, and I was on the outside of. Um, just that one alone is something, something astronomical, like six million a month or something, or six. Oh, I don't yeah. even. It was, it was, and these are massive. The facility over there in Carrizo Springs that is like, I just, it's so massive, and it's continuing to grow. Um, somebody has to pay for that. And then on top of our taxpayer dollars being used to open these facilities up on the federal level, then even on the state and local level, um, you know, we have the uh, just over $4 billion right now for Operation Lone Star OLS and continuing to climb. And then you have the state and local resources like y'all's there in Midland County and on how this is a burden. It's like we're being taxed and burdened in addition to, and that's just the cost. That's not including the crime and the drugs and the gangs and the other cost to this invasion. I, 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 define this as a, as an invasion. And I presented my case as to why that is. And so many times previously before, but this is the other element to it that, that, that is really going to have a huge, and I'm kicking myself in the butt. I thought I had everything ready. I apologize, okay. but I'll have, I'll have them. I'll it's, it's the, the, the document for my, I have it in my hand. <laughs> but one of the things that I don't think a lot of people realize, I understand the intent between operation Lone Star. But the one thing that's a, a collateral consequence of that is you're taking law enforcement out of our communities. Yes. And when they're out of our communities, that means like my Texas Rangers are not here when we have an officer involved shooting. They're not here to testify when a trial occurs. So we have to delay because of that. Most law enforcement agencies across the entire state of Texas are already seeing a decrease in number of applicants and have vacancies. Midland Police Department was averaging about 30 vacant patrol positions. And so add to that with prosecutors offices that um, cannot compete with the private sector and are operating not at full capacity, we can't afford to be able to have our law enforcement drawn so far away from what we're, you know, the cases that were already being worked um, for their availability. And that we're talking about are other U.S. citizens who have constitutional rights that are not necessarily getting a speedy trial 
because of the resources are being stretched so thin to deal with this crisis, to deal with this. It, I, I don't care about the word influx. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's an invasion and, and it's invasion of criminals. Um, it's an invasion of victims mm-hmm. and it's not something that's going to be easily solved. It just needs to stop. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And so I, I, I'm just, there's so many, the issues that are caused from this are so wide. And thank you for bringing that up because that, that is something that, um, you know, I learned very early on from Sheriff Wigington and Throckmorton County when I met him down there in, in, in the Del Rio uh, summit, security summit. Uh, again, it feels like forever ago. That was one of the first things. And I, you know, being from the DFW area, we do have larger, you know, police forces here. Um, and, and so I just, and it's my ignorance that, and I should have known, like, I mean, I've traveled all over the great state of Texas and how big and wide it is. And the vast majority of it is rural. And you have so many communities that depend on DPS officers that are there and on the Rangers that are there, uh, to help with even just the day-to-day operations that when these communities and, and with the tragedy, even that we saw even in Uvalde, you know, just recently, like, so many of those resources from Uvalde, and they're not that far away from the border, were sent over there to the border. You know, we're sent to Eagle Pass and to Del Rio to help with the influxes there. And it leaves these communities and communities like your own that are already strapped, already hit with, in, in addition to the rising crime, in addition to the rising drugs, you know, smuggling, in addition to having to deal with these type of influx facilities that are literally popping up in the middle of the night with children, children. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's insane to me, but this is where we're at and this is where we're at. And I am just so unbelievably thankful and grateful that you agreed to come on and share a little bit of of y'all's experience. Um, And I really do. My hope and prayer is that this would help other citizens throughout the state of Texas, that this might be popping up into. I'm going to put down all of the everything that you sent and all of the the notes, because this is duplicatable action items that people can do in their respective cities and counties and towns. Um, And if anybody has any any last minute questions, um, any questions really quick, I'll try to look at them and take them in the last few minutes here. And then I will be respectful of Miss Laura's time. Um, so I'll try to see if I have anything here. There's a lot of comments, just all in agreement. Um, people are very frustrated and, and they are, um, yeah, the, the NGOs protecting, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of retire. We have a lot of retired, um, ICE officers here in the comments as well. Um, that have worked in the child sex trafficking and exploitation in El Paso. Chris, shout out to you. Uh, and Joe, I know I saw some of your comments in here earlier. He's another, um, you know, he's another one that has served our country uh, in so many ways and also was former Border Patrol. So uh, Peter Perez, he's out there in DeMitt County where the Cadizo Springs facility is. He's very concerned. He's taken a lot of actions him and his wife um there in their respective area so let me hop over here to get her really quick don't really see any questions just a lot oh, well, of you're comments. just kind of sifting through those what let me let me just pose Please. this out there for those of you since they're not allowing our agencies to go in and volunteer 
I know in Midland that they were calling for volunteers. Um, that's one of the best ways you can actually help is volunteer at a facility. And if you see something that is questionable, report it to your local law enforcement. That at least gets the ball rolling because that, that gives me something tangible to go back to the federal government through, through ORR to say, I'm hearing this is happening. Tell me what's going on. So while they may not be allowing local law enforcement in, number one, remember these are kids. And if you can be somebody that they may feel comfortable reaching out to, you may be that one person that they finally tell about the abuse and can we can get them connected to services. But you could also be the same person who moves that case of water out of the sun to simply into the shade. Mm -hmm. Because it was clear to me that at least the volunteers that were here in Midland were here because they were receiving a paycheck. They weren't really volunteers. So as troubling as these facilities are, we do have to keep in mind that if we're in, if we're infiltrating them essentially, mm -hmm. just as our country's being infiltrated, um, that's just another way for us to be able to come back and say, you are substandard. This isn't acceptable for our community. You're exhausting our resources, putting children in danger, and it's got to stop. And it should not be happening. Right. And we, we cannot control what happens in Arizona or California or any other state, but in the sovereign state of Texas, as long as, you know, good and decent people are here, um, this should not be acceptable on Texas soil. And Absolutely. that's how people could that, that, that is awesome. And that is just amazing advice because a lot of these children too, they are innocent. These children are drug into these situations. They are used. Um, okay. I have one. Is this, was this facility a FEMA run place? Um, it, it was a FEMA contract that um, was then run um, through ORR, um, who subsequently contracted out to uh, a non-governmental organization. But the original um, volunteers that were here were, um, some of them were Red Cross, um, but it, it was, it, the original contract was through FEMA. They were the ones that originally, and I remember also out there in the RGV area, in the McAllen area, with the Catholic charities out there, I have photos that I've taken of these FEMA vans that were there and that were setting up some of the, um, the testing sites. And, and that's where a lot of these younger, every single one of them was pregnant. It was very disturbing, uh, young pregnant girls. Um, and it was just very, very disturbing, but that well, was, yeah. And what's so interesting when you think about it, and I know we could go on forever, forever but think about what FEMA is. That's federal emergency. Mm -hmm. That emergency. Yep. So they're the administration's talking on both sides of their mouth because there's no crisis. There's, I mean, crisis is so synonymous with an emergency. Well, if that doesn't exist, then why is FEMA involved? Because mm -hmm. those resources should be reserved for when we have emergencies, but 
this is an emergency that could be easily stopped. Mm -hmm. And I question what happens at the next natural disaster, or let's say we have a Katrina or a Harvey and we've used our FEMA resources for U.S. citizens who are horribly impacted by a natural disaster and they don't have a place to go. Yep. And it's also the same thing, even, even with our OLS and Operation Lone Star, with so much of our national, our Texas Guard out there defending our border, there's storms brewing right now in the Gulf. They're coming. And, and, and that's a really, and when my says that it is shut down or that, that, that it's, it's, it's secure and that there's a plan and that it's, it's contained, then why are you deploying FEMA forces? Why have you been doing this for over the last year and a half? And why does this continue to happen? Um, it, this is not irregular migration. Like they want to paint this as it, it is, it is fabricated it is a fabricated self-inflicted humanitarian crisis and these children are some of the worst victims Absolutely. and so thank you yes the very fact that they have been look at the very fact that they have been placed exactly that's where fema comes in yeah and and what about and and it leaves us the american citizens and texans once again another area another way that we're we're going to be left vulnerable and and god forbid without um it's it's very very disturbing. But do you have any last comments before we let you go? No, just um, I, I did. I shared um, kind of just some of my thoughts and some of the processes that I went through, um, both that would apply to local government officials and then also um, things that anybody can do. Um, and a lot of that is making sure that your government officials are doing something that they haven't thrown their hands up. If you run into that situation, um, absolutely. Uh, if, if you go just put in a Google search, Midland County District Attorney, it'll take you to our website. Shoot me an email, call me. I will walk you through as much of this as I can. I will send you what information I have um, because it's I, I've been through it. I honestly believe in, in speaking with um, individuals in Washington that we caused enough of a stink. We don't think that they will be coming back here anytime soon, but I'm ready. They do. And I'm ready to help you if you find this occurring in your community. Awesome. Thank you so very much, Laura. Thank Absolutely. you, Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, to come on here and spread this information. You are a true warrior uh, for children and for Texans and for uh, the Midland County that you that you serve. They're blessed to have you. And uh, I hope that they keep you on for many, many more terms to come. So <laughs> and hopefully, hopefully the next time I'm out there in that area, I'll stop by and uh, come and say hello. So. Absolutely. Thank you so very much. God bless. Take care. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, guys, that she is, I told you guys that you guys were in for a treat. She is a fire breather. Uh, she's amazing. She's a, she's so 
um, I, 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 I was just so blown away with her when I first met her. I'm like, yes, she is one of those who fights to find solutions. And that is what we need. We need real solutions. She's, it's, she's tried and true and tested and it's there in her area. And she was able to, to effectively weed them out of her community and the atrocities that were happening to these children in this area. So guys, uh, thank you guys. I know we're running just a few minutes over usual. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Please like and share this information. I will also try to uh, put up all the resources that she gave and some of the talking points um, of how to try to combat this in your area and an easy downloadable document onto the website. Visit securetheborder.us, securetheborder.us, share this information. And guys, when we talk about how can you get active and engaged and involved and fight back in your respective areas to become a quote unquote border activist, uh, you know, join forces with Secure the Border and do exactly that in your respective areas. Fact finding missions and ways to find real solutions to be able to combat this in your respective ways. So thank you, Laura, so much for coming on. And thank you guys so much for tuning in. Visit securetheborder.us and uh, let's continue to do all that we can to secure our sovereign state border and, um, and, and protect our, our, our precious Texas. God bless you guys. Thank you. Good night. Thank you for your time and let's go Brandon.